Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hello. Hello, Lawsy. Welcome back. To, why? Oh, okay, we're going with this every week, are we? Welcome back to. Well, yes, because we haven't been here for a week, so we are back. <laughs> from last week also I would like to say welcome back to uh my lovely friend who is a stunning fitness entrepreneur who wore her hair wet slicked off her face and covered her eyes with sunglasses thank you that was that was rogue but I just had to read that out because we just had the biggest laugh about this so uh Mm. we went to the beach last week and you know as you know when you do anything basically the day we may write an article about you but this one is just so funny because you have just been for a swim, so your hair was wet. Mm. But this is written like you did a style, like you, mm. you wore your hair wet, slicked off your face, covered with sunglasses. Yeah. Hot mama, I think. I think they called me hot mama. Say, yeah, yeah. Good mama, M-U-M-M-A, I think. <laughs> Very hot mama. Anyway, yes, I, I, I just had a got, laugh. Yeah, I love that they thought that I actually put, you know, some effort into my look then. It was... You know, little do they know, it's just, I'm just naturally quite stylish, you know, just the, the way that my hair sits. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is, that is a bit of a lull. So if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, sorry, we're going to get straight into it now <laughs> with our special shares. So what is your special share that you have for us this week? We can't wait to hear. Okay, so I have recently because I feel like I've watched all the shows on everything I've Mm -hmm. switched over to binge to to find some new shows and I've been watching the new one called The Undoing with um Nicole Kidman and Hugh what's his last name English actor oh my god I've lost it anyway it's Nicole Kidman she's like kind of the main star of the whole show um and it is so incredible. It's coming out once a week. So there's only three episodes right now. I've watched all three and next week will be the fourth. And it's really... <laughs> we um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a drama. Um, so it's like a bit intense, but I love, love, love it. Like I just, I really love it and I'm so hooked and I just really want to watch the next episode. I was speaking to someone else about it and they're really keen to watch it, but because they love like kind of watching a show, like binging it in a row, they're waiting for all the episodes to come out before they start. Um, but I kind of love the anticipation of like waiting a week for it. I don't know. Um, anyway, I got started and I watched the first three episodes and I highly recommend it if anyone's on Foxtel or binge, um, and they can watch that show. It it's, it's really good. The acting is insane. Um, and yeah, you really get hooked on the storyline and you just want to know what's happening next. Well, I can't wait to watch it so I can watch it and then tell you it's bad, like you did for me, <laughs> Emily in Paris, and critique oh it, but then God. come back the next week and recover and say, no, actually, you know, I actually like it. <laughs> but um, it's funny you say that because I feel like ne- you saying that you like the inter- anticipation of not being able to watch the next episode, I feel like not many people out there like you left <laughs> because, you know, we just have like unlimited, uh, that used to be normal, of course, but mm. now it's like every, you know, I'll go watch something else that has 24 seasons mm. <laughs> you can just watch in a row. Um, but anyway, thank you for that recommendation. Joking. I will watch it and I'm sure I will enjoy it. Like all of your amazing <laughs> recommendations. Oh, <God. laughs> what is your mine, special share? <laughs> so mine is actually a it's not really a quote because I don't have the actual quote. It's a summary of 
something that I listened to that I loved. And it was on the Imperfects podcast, which Mm -hmm. you are going to be on very soon. It's exciting. I keep checking if your episodes come out. It hasn't come out yet. Okay, maybe ask you when it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's with, with um, it's Hugh's podcast who we had on from the Resilience Project who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago and you guys absolutely loved it. But in his podcast, at the start he speaks and at the end he has a co-host, um, Ryan, who is also so fantastic. He's a comedian. And Ryan spoke about in, I can't remember what episode it was, I've listened to so many of them, but he spoke about how a hundred percent of the life we live is in the present moment. And that is obviously the most, I suppose it's quite an obvious thing. When Mm. you think about it, we kind of know that, but Mm. I think a lot of the time we think we want to, you know, tomorrow will be better. And and that's okay to think that, um, you know, every now and then, Mm. or we think that if I have this, it's more the if and when model of happiness. If I have this, then I will be happy. Mm, mm. Um, if I buy this, then I will be happy. And, and all those things, and we, we seem to often think about the future so much, but the thing is we actually don't live in the future. We live mm. our whole life in the present moment. So it's so important to, to find ways to actually be present and enjoy that and not always want to look for more and into the future because otherwise we, we won't be enjoying the, the life that we live and finding joy in each moment. So I thought that was a really, really beautiful I love that. Would you call it a concept? Yeah, it's a concept. I I mean, it sounded like a quote as well. Um, But it just like, it makes so much sense because it's not even just about looking into the future. I find there's so many people I find hanging on to things from the past as well, Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's something that they're hanging on to negatively or they're, you know, wishing that they were like what they did back in the day or, you know, like holding on to these past things. Um, It is such a, it's funny when you said it, it's like, well, well, duh, but it, it's totally like you need to hear it because it's mm-hmm. so true. We very rarely just kind of sit in the present and live in the moment, um, which is so important. So that's awesome. Great special yeah. share. Thank you. And also with that, yeah, I always think to myself, oh, I wish I didn't meet Steph because then I'd have a better oh. life. No, I'm oh, no. <laughs> we'll just be grateful, all right? Joking. Find yes, the all right. Things. I'll have to put up with you for a little bit longer. <laughs> joking that is a big joke okay anyway so now for today's podcast who have we got this is such an awesome one and special and important it is it is a very special and important chat we have got the lovely dina amy who's been a friend for quite a few years now i actually tried to think back when we were chatting to her about the first time i met her properly and i i literally couldn't picture it because you might recognize dina from the show um that used to be i think it was on abc back in the day dance academy and i used to watch that show and loved that show so when i met dina i was like oh i recognize you i don't know who you are so i feel like when you either follow someone on social media or you watch them on a show or something like that when you meet them you kind of feel like you've already met them even though obviously she wasn't playing herself, but her character was... Anyway, whatever, I'm blabbing on. But it's hard for me to pinpoint the moment that I met Dina, but she's such a beautiful person inside and out. She lives and breathes health. She, you know, she's always lived a healthy lifestyle. I remember one time when we booked her for soda for a DJ gig, um, you know, on her write-up, which is, you know, something that um, musicians get to have when, they, when they're traveling and everything to make sure that they've got things available to them it had things like I think it was a trail mix or nuts and almond butter and, and like almond milk like all these beautiful healthy foods 
for those of us who aren't, I know what this is because I've spoken to you. But before <laughs> I spoke to you about it, because I've got a cool DJ, um, DJ-esque friend. Well, you're not really a DJ-esque friend. I was the DJ, but you're just like a yeah, cooler you're the friend that knows that DJs have a... So this list is the thing yes. that they get to request for when they play. Um, yeah. So it's there for them. Totally. So like when they're touring, 100%. So some people have things like, you know, when they're traveling overseas, they want things like Tim Tams or shapes or like something that reminds them of home. Or a lot of the time it's actually alcohol and and like their favorite kind of vodka or whatever that they might not, it might not be available where they're going to be. It's just things that are comforting for them or just things that they are always going to want. There's DJs who do it for different reasons. You know, some DJs want all the kind of alcohol and everything like that because they know that they're going to want to kind of entertain post the event or, you know. That would be yours, wouldn't it? If you were a DJ, (laughs) yours would just have all the alcohol. (laughs) Yours would have like, I don't know, yoga ball or something. Uh, like ankle weights um it was just so balanced and I just I loved it um and and I even remember like going and seeing her before she played um the gig and she was just so like calm and she's just got such a beautiful energy anyway other than an incredible career which she does speak about um in the arts she's also gone through quite a lot this year um both mentally and physically so she has something called pmdd and dina speaks about being diagnosed with this she also explains what it is and and what kind of comes along with it and the struggles she's had over the past couple of years in particularly um and and definitely with her mental health it's a really important conversation she does get quite you know deep and meaningful um so keep that in mind so we we do speak about anxiety and depression and there's also a reference to suicide in this podcast so if that is something that is triggering for you we would recommend not listening but also remember that if you do need support at any time you you can always contact Lifeline. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Dina was so open uh, through the whole conversation and honest and vulnerable and we're so grateful for her being that way and we think it will help a lot of people. So we hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Dina, and welcome to the KickPod. We are so excited to have you on and we wanted to start with a very important question. How are you going at the moment? Oh, hey girls, it's really nice to be here. Um, I'm doing really, really well at the moment, which um, I haven't been able to say in a long time. So it feels really nice to say that. Like I'm just, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. <laughs> you look good. Well, oh, thanks. You always look good, both of you. <laughs> Are you in Melbourne? I am. I'm in Melbourne. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's nice, it's- isn't it? Now we're open and back to normal yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It feels like my recovery journey has coincided with the lockdown so it's like as I started to feel better like Melbourne opened up and the sun came out and like it's it's been a really beautiful couple of weeks actually it's really nice like you can feel the energy coming back and yeah oh, it's it's so much better we're, we're exactly the same we're so happy now <laughs> yeah it's amazing isn't it it's like quite amazing when, when things are taken away from you how how much the gratitude come back in a but it like comes back in abundance <laughs> A hundred percent. I think that's yeah. one thing that's been getting Steph and I through. I mean, we've been focusing on gratitude through the year, but now it's like, wow, yes, we can go to yeah. a cafe and have a coffee at the cafe and, and, and all of those special things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, I can socialize again and see friends and hear music. And it's really cool. <laughs> so we wanted to start with your career, which your resume is just 
insanely amazing. <laughs> I mean, you're an actress, a DJ, a dancer, a producer, and a singer. Uh, congratulations. Absolutely <laughs> amazing, as I said. Can you take us back to your childhood and your journey from there to where you are now? Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty, it's a pretty varied resume, but you know, it's all in the arts. It's all in performing. Like, it's not like I'm a scientist and a dancer, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like with, with arts, I like, it just came very naturally from a very young age. I was born in South Africa and I was like on stage and dancing and doing ballet from the age of three, like three and four years old on stage, l- lived and breathed ballet. Um, and that's really all I cared about dancing. That's really all I remember about my childhood. Um, it didn't, I don't really remember school and I don't, like all I cared about was, you know, my leotard, my bun and being in ballet class or being on stage. I loved being on stage. And then we immigrated to Australia when I was uh, seven. And there's like a, a story in my family um, about like mum and dad were looking for a new house and trying to find us schools to go to and I apparently had a tantrum because I hadn't found a ballet school yet but like we hadn't even unpacked our suitcases I was like mum I need to find a ballet school um so they found one for me immediately and before I actually found a school I was already in ballet um and yeah then dancing like it was that went through all my life and I guess I had a pretty extraordinary and unusual like teenage years like when people were going to their debs and they like celebrating year 12 and all this stuff I was already on tour with shows like I I am um, I started doing The Lion King when I was 16 which I think I was the youngest person ever employed by mm. Disney so I was really really young to be doing eight shows a week around the world and um still trying to do school in interval breaks and you know being around adults and having a very demanding role like I was I think I had like I don't know 30 costume changes and I was singing and dancing and doing it like it was very intense but I loved it like Mm. I absolutely lived and breathed it I absolutely just couldn't get enough of it and then as soon as I finished Lion King I moved to New York and I started dancing with a company in New York um, and I started taking lots of classes there doing acting and music and um, that led to a lot of other auditions and lots of things happened in New York and I loved it, but I had issues with my visa because I didn't have a green card. So I got these opportunities, like I got cast in Broadway shows and I got cast in films and I couldn't do them because I didn't have a green card. So I ended up coming back to Australia and that's when I started doing Dance Academy. And that was like a big chapter of my life. Um, you know, I filmed that for almost five years. And again, it was like the most wonderful experience but it was grueling. You know, we were on set all day and then we were dancing at nighttime and going to physio and Pilates and staying in shape. Like it wasn't a normal acting role. We had, mm. we, did, we, we didn't have any stunt doubles. We did everything ourselves. So it was like being a professional dancer and actor. Um, yeah. And then that led to other film and TV work. And then I always had this secret sort of love for, for music from a very young age my dad was a musician my sisters are both singers and we grew up with music around our house but I always put myself in the category of dancer and I was quite Mm. scared to be the singer because like Gemma and Ariel my sisters they were singers and didn't want to like step on their (laughs) head you know uh but then um yeah as I got older I fell more in love with music and um I started dating a musician and that kind of 
that world became my world. Like I was living with a band and musicians and I was surrounded by inspiring artists all the time. And then I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. And um, yeah, I guess that's how I kind of fell into the music world with DJing and producing. And that kind of took off on its own. I, I didn't really have goals or aspirations to be a musician or DJ. It just happened really fast and um, like, yeah, once again, it was a natural ability and a natural instinct. Like there's, I'm not like, I can't pick up like maths and numbers and understand it. But when it comes to music and dance and arts, like for some reason, I just, I just get it. And it was natural. So that was really cool. And yeah, that's kind of, that's been a bit of a base of my story. So there's a bit of everything in there. <laughs> I love hearing about um, particularly those in kind of creative industries their story and their journey because there really has to be so much love and passion for, for what it is. It's not just, you know, the op- taking up opportunities, saying yes to things and meeting the right people or everything. It's like you've got to really be in it um, to win it. I had a friend who was an incredible dancer and um, I remember just how much she trained and everything throughout primary school and high school and how many things she skipped because she was training so hard. So when you were speaking of that role in Dance Academy, which is so funny because I watched that before meeting you. And so when I met you, I was like, oh, I knew you. Um, And just just thinking about like how much, you know, um, is involved in, in acting alone and then having to train to dance as well. But it must have felt so good. I mean, I was always into the kind of arts and everything as well I just wasn't really good at much of it so that's why I ended up modeling (laughs) so you're good at everything else (laughs) no but it's um it kind of makes sense and when I when I heard you first sing um on a track I was like oh my god she can sing too so it's funny Mm -hmm. how you know when as you were saying you didn't really want to step out of you know, not your comfort zone, but like where you were known for, that was really daunting for you. But like from someone else's point of view, it was like incredible to know that you were just so skilled. It was really cool. That's so nice. Yeah, I remember that transition being a challenging one. Um, I was like, I, I I really want to remain respected as an actor and be authentic and legit. And I don't want to be like this DJ who's now an actor. And then in the music world, I was like, I want to be taken seriously as a musician and a DJ and they're just going to think I'm an actor trying to be a DJ and I was like how do I find this middle ground and yeah that was quite a scary step because I didn't want to be judged and I to be honest like everything else in my career like I had to work really hard for it like I I felt like I had to prove myself with skill and with technique and ability and like everything I kind of set my mind to in the arts I do work really hard at like you know whether it was acting you know a lot of the roles I've played have been um either dance related or or like fitness like I I played a swimmer in a a US TV series and I just trained like a maniac like for me it's (laughs) like it's a you know it's not method but it's a whole mind body soul experience and I I work really hard for that so it was the same with the music I wasn't going to go on tour with these amazing artists and not know what I was doing like I wanted to be taken seriously and legitimate and also, I just loved it, so I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, you mentioned before when we were asking how you were that you're kind of going through a bit of a recovery process, um, and we'd love to chat about that today if you're comfortable um, because I feel like once you opened up to me about it, I hadn't heard about PMDD, and, 
you know, it's kind of surprising when you hear of these things that um, do happen, you know, even to women and that it can happen and you've never heard of them before. So I would love for you to, I suppose, touch on that journey you've been through this year with PMDD and how you're feeling and everything now. Yeah, sure. I am. I'm so happy to talk about it. I'm kind of through the worst of it now. So I I feel I have some ability to talk about it when I before I was just in it so I couldn't Mm. but I do think it's important to um to tell our stories because it can help other people um yeah I've suffered with really severe periods for as long as I can remember it was always I'd have like two weeks on and two weeks off like two weeks where I could function and go a million miles an hour and then two weeks where it would be really bad and then some months it would be so bad it would it was debilitating and you know I couldn't go to school I had to cancel shows I um the pain I've been in hospital I didn't even know how many times for the Mm. pain um and it's gotten worse in the last few years like when I was living in LA it started getting really bad and when I got back from LA in the last kind of two years it got really bad but what I noticed was the physical side was still kind of the same it was still like a lot of bloating and severe pain and swelling and um just like constant irritability in your body but for me the the emotional side was getting out of control like you know I was having debilitating crippling anxiety and depression five to ten days leading up to my period and then the day I'd get it I'd switch like like a light like a light switch and I'd be totally fine, like back to mm. normal. And it was crazy because it it got dangerous. And this is the bit that scared me. Like the, it was so irrational and the depression was so severe and it got so dark that I could have done something really stupid. You know, like I was in such a dark place and then the hormones would change and all of a sudden I'd be back to normal. Mm. And I tried everything. Um, you know, I was seeing psychologists psychiatrists naturopaths like everything and for me the worst part really was when medications got involved because that's when things got a lot worse for me um the minute we involved like I was in the U.S. and I was trying to manage being on tour living on a tour bus with this crippling condition and I was just over-prescribed medications in such a dangerous way because that's what they do in America. <laughs> and I was really naive. And, you know, next thing I knew, I had this incredibly bad premenstrual dysphoric disorder, but I also had a terrible dependence on medications. Like I'd become mm-hmm. so dependent on these anti-anxiety medications and it was causing worse side effects than it, than it was helping. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's a little bit about it. But yeah, pre- it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And basically it's a severe form of PMS that happens two weeks before the cycle. So at ovulation, it starts. Um, and it's not like, oh, I've got bad PMS. It's like, it's crippling. It's completely debilitating. It's really, really severe. And, you know, I'm, I'm part of this group on Facebook. It's a woman's group who's PMDD. And the stories, like, it's really hard. It's something women fight kind of silently for so long because no one really knows how to treat it or what to do like they chuck you on antidepressants they put you on the pill everything gets worse some for some people it gets better like hormones in the brain are so unpredictable so mm. yeah it's a it's a really challenging thing um and for me this year it just unfolded in a big way uh and I, I 
I just had a nervous breakdown, to be honest. Like it just, I came crumbling and I had to get a grip on it. When were you diagnosed with it? Because obviously, you know, we we spoke before about your career and how much, (laughs) how hard you work, how much Mm. you do. And then obviously to hear that for basically half of your life, you are in extremely hard to deal with pain. I I can't imagine even having that on a tour bus. Mm. How, How did you, I suppose, deal with that? And then also, when did it, when did you realize what it was? Because I mean, a lot of women suffer really bad period pain, obviously not I mean, I have really bad period pain, but my and I do have mood swings, but not not to that extent at all. How did when did you kind of realize that? Hang on, this is not just PMS that everyone mm. talks about. It's actually a lot worse. And when did did you actually get diagnosed? So I, I think I realized quite a while ago that it wasn't normal. Like a lot of my best friends, my girl best friends, like they really had a lot of sympathy for me. Like they couldn't believe what I would go through every month. Um, and when it started getting to a point where I you know for me to cancel a show to not perform to not be on stage like I have to really be on my deathbed like Mm -hmm. my work ethic doesn't really allow that and when it got to a point where I was having to cancel performances and not go to festivals and couldn't dance and couldn't move and you know some like being on camera being on set when you're six kilograms puffier than usual Mm. all of a sudden and your boobs don't fit into a leotard and you can't move because you're in so much you know all this stuff it was getting it was getting harder and harder um but I am a bit of a warrior and I kept pushing through but I I would go see gynecologists and they would mention it to me but it was very vague it was like there wasn't a lot of knowledge around it Mm. and there was always this underlying issue of having endometriosis because that's Mm. why the pain was so bad but there was never that much mention about PMDD. And then to be honest, this year was when I got a proper diagnosis because I had such a severe mental breakdown that I ended up in hospital. I was in a psychiatric hospital. I was suicidal. I was out of control. Like I could not keep it together. My emotions were uh, so heightened and so irrational. I was having panic attacks that were lasting three, four days, like not being able to breathe. So, you know, when it got that bad, they they looked at me and they they kind of didn't know. They were like, is this bipolar? Is this manic depression? Like they didn't know what was going on. And then when I explained to them that, and I think while I was in the hospital, I got my period. And then the next day I was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine. And then I think when they saw that switch happen and that it was happening every month, then they were able to give me a very clear diagnosis. And it, and it just made sense. Like, you know, if I look back at my life, I was... I always used to say, like, I function at such a high capacity, but imagine I wasn't at 50%. Imagine I was at 100% what I could achieve because I climb the mountain, I climb, I climb, and, like, as I'm about to reach the top, I crash every month and I just Mm. can't get it. You know, and it it used to drive me crazy that I could never, to be honest, be like men. Like, I was like, it is so unfair. They get two more (laughs) weeks than me every single month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, now that I, once I got a diagnosis and once I got medications under control and got a better understanding that was the most validating process to be like oh I feel so understood and I, mm. you know I'm, I'm not going crazy because that was the worst part I, th- I thought I was actually losing it yeah oh, I can only imagine like that diagnosis whilst it would have been you know scary and then having to to learn all about it um would have been a relief in itself finally having kind of like an answer to everything that you've been going through you mentioned you know depression and anxiety those kind of mental barriers that you you've battled through this were they things that you've battled with you know 
life prior to the diagnosis or this year or do you think it's kind of built up because of the PMDD? Mm. Yeah, I definitely battled it psychically. Is that how I say it? Yeah, like every every cycle it would come on. So I always knew there was depression and anxiety, but it would only be in those two weeks and then mm. it would go away. But then in the last kind of two years, I'd say, it started being a more consistent underlying thing. Um, and, you know, a lot went on in my personal life as well. Like I, I broke up with my partner of six years. I moved mm. back from LA. I lost a lot of friends in that breakup. There was a lot of grief and there was a lot of career changes, constantly moving cities. The lifestyle I was living wasn't really uh, helping my depression or anxiety. I was on an aeroplane every three days. I was in different cities every month. I had no anchor routine or structure. Like it was, mm. you know, it was chaotic and crazy. And like everything I kind of experienced was so magical and so extreme and such highs all the time, but there wasn't balance and there, there you know, so the, the highs would be really high and the lows would be so low, but there was no moderation. There was no in between. And I'd look at my friends who, you know, had partners and children and my sisters who had these normal lives and I couldn't understand how normal people did it. I was like, I don't get it. I know how to be on and off. Like I don't know how to do in between. Um, and it was something I always struggled with. So that was underlying for a long time. Um, but things got a lot worse for me when medications got involved, as I said, like, you know, when I became dependent on these mm. medications and couldn't survive without taking it to control my anxiety or depression, that's when there was a bigger problem at hand. Like not only was there an underlying anxiety and depression, there now felt like there was an addiction and a dependency mm. on a pill to help me get through a day to manage anxiety. Like it just, it was shocking. Mm. Oh, I can't, I can't imagine. And as well, just listening to you speak about, I suppose, how you would know you were going to get it because of your cycle. Mm. And I feel like, I mean, I, I don't have, I have anxiety, but I, I can kind of manage it most of the time. And I, I feel like it would be so hard. It, the hardest part with, with mental illness is when you don't know what's causing it and it won't get out of your head. But I suppose yes. for you with your, your period cycle, you know that, okay, it's because of this cycle these are my hormones but I think the hardest and I'm assuming it would have been so hard for you when it was you know all the time and it wasn't just because of this reason because of your cycle exactly. and and you had to deal with it how how did it affect your your day-to-day -day life yeah that's so true what you said that's that's exactly when it did get scary when it was mm. that that you know, like the anticipation of the monthly thing I could handle, but then the fact that it was there all the time, that's when it got really scary. Mm. Um, and it affected me. I mean, to be honest, this year, it affected me in such a drastic way that I kind of had to stop life. Before that, I was managing. I'd say I was high functioning. Um, but it was like this secret I had all the time that I had to get on stage and perform. And then I knew that when I got off stage, I would have this crash in mood and have this bad anxiety um, and I was often surrounded by men and on a tour bus and I didn't know how to talk about it with mm. men um, or I'd be on set and I didn't want to let anyone down so there was that constant fluctuation but this year when I didn't have work to kind of force me to pull it together I, I honestly couldn't pull it together and I would be in bed all day long with you know, the curtains closed, wouldn't come out of my room for days, 
my parents would be worried sick. I, um, you know, I went from living this incredibly independent life to really needing help. I had to move back home. I was in and out of hospitals. Um, and my life this year has been spent doing recovery, like seeing psychologists, working on my mental health, working with naturopaths, working with doctors. So I had to put life on hold completely. And I mean, not everyone gets to that point. And I don't think, I don't think I would have, honestly, I don't think I would have done this work if it wasn't for COVID. I think Mm. when work stopped, my world unraveled. And that's when like, it almost allowed room for me to have this mental breakdown and I just cracked open completely but I think had I had work responsibilities to keep me together I probably would have kept pushing through Mm. um but yeah this year almost allowed me to completely crumble and put the pieces back together those down days whenever you feel them Dana is there anything in particular that that you do to kind of get you through or to help you manage them other than you know seeing psychologists and stuff yeah yeah, I mean, the really, the really dark times that I've had this year, I'm, I'm almost traumatised by because they were so unmanageable and scary. And I think anyone who's dealt with severe panic attacks and uh, really bad depression knows what that feels like. But when it's... So I think when it gets to that point where it's unmanageable, the only thing to do is ask for help, honestly. Yeah. Like, for me, it was just speak to my therapist, speak to my family, get professional help. But... Um, But when it's, you know, just underlying, when it's just kind of ruminating there, for me, exercise is a huge thing. Like I've always been able to connect with my feelings in a physical way through dancing. So for me to be able to release that energy in a physical way and shift my perspective, that's so important. So as soon as I got into a routine of regular exercise every morning, that was huge. The other thing has been diet, like, you know, food really is medicine. So I had to really cut out sugar and dairy because they were giving me, you know, they really do mess with your hormones and mood. So when I started uh, working with the naturopath very closely and adding a lot of supplements and vitamins and good foods into my diet, that's when I started to feel a lot of change. Exercise and diet were probably the two big ones. Sleep is a huge one, you know, like I had huge issues with sleep because of the anxiety. So for a long time I wasn't sleeping and now I've finally got that under control. and you know one of the things i've kind of learned through working these recovery programs is we all have this spring and the spring gets like tighter and tighter and tighter throughout the day as we add pressure and stress onto it and we have to figure out a way to release the spring like a a healthy coping mechanism and they say you know the spring releases naturally when you have sleep so that's like that's the best coping tool of all is just getting regular natural sleep but you know other great ways to do it are through meditation exercise eating well communication's been a big one for me because I would isolate through all of this I would really I was really I don't know I was in a lot of shame I didn't want anyone to know what was going on with me and I wanted to be like perfect Dina all the time and so I think communication's been huge speaking to friends about it speaking to family about it um Yeah, and then I guess doing things that can just bring a bit of joy back in because it's pretty hard to find that joy when you're in that space. And for me, that was, you know, spending time with my nephews. Like that was was all I could do. I was going over to my sister's place in my pajamas and, you know, spending a couple of hours with them. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it's so unfortunate that that you touched before that you felt shameful for how you were feeling. Uh, It's 
I mean, it's so great that we're talking about this, about mental health right now and you're so open about it, but obviously there's still so much stigma attached to it. We wanted to ask, when you, you spoke about how connection was so important, did you sit down and tell your family or did they kind of observe and then that it, it kind of just went unsaid? How, how did you, I think that would be so hard for, for anyone listening who might be, you know, thinking, feeling shameful, which they absolutely shouldn't and not, not actually know how to talk to people because I think when you say it out loud, it, it's actually admitting that, you know, it's there and it's real and, and you have mm. to deal with it. How, how mm. did you do that? Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, to be honest with my family, there was no hiding it. It was pretty evident. They, um, you know, they kind of saw everything and we're, we are a very close family. And what they would witness the most, I guess, over the years was I'd be traveling countries, I'd be on stage, I'd be on set, and then I'd come home and I'd crash and I couldn't get out of bed for like three days. So they saw that on off thing all the time, but they just thought, oh, she's living such a crazy life. Like she must just be exhausted. Um, And then again, when I didn't have to be on and I was just off all the time this year when I wasn't working, like that's when they started to get quite worried about it. But in my family, I'm, you know, I'm really fortunate that we speak really openly about mental health and it's three girls, you know, it's three sisters. So we speak about periods a lot. (laughs) So they kind of, they, they kind of knew what was going on. I think the harder part for me was speaking to friends um, and also kind of being in the public eye, letting people understand what was going on in that way, because I did have to cancel shows and Mm. I wasn't acting as much as I used to. And I wasn't dancing as much as I used to. And, you know, that is really kind of, that is hard. And I, I've, I've definitely learned this year that there is power in vulnerability and power in sharing your truth. And it, it connects us and, you know, being authentic and having integrity is more important to me than appearing glossy and sparkly and perfect. Like I'm actually not that interested in people's lives who have it all together because I know that's not true because no one has it all together. <laughs> it's yeah, so true. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Um, and and that connection, I mean, those relationships and everything. It's so good that you had that support and that you felt so good when you were able to open up and communicate with them because I think that. I mean, I know for myself when I've struggled through things mentally without opening up to someone else, um, I kind of just stress in my own mind about how it might be affecting them. Did you ever feel like what was going on with you might have been affecting friends and did that just add to the anxiety until you really actually just spoke about it with them? Totally. I, I felt like the biggest burden to everyone. Like, I honestly was like, why are people friends with me? (laughs) Why do people date me? Like, I am a horrible mess to be around. I couldn't understand why people put up with me and I just felt like a burden. And when I voiced that and when I spoke my truth to people that I was feeling that way, like, they were horrified, you know? Mm. They were like, what are you talking about? We love Mm. being around you. You know, you're the most positive person. And (laughs) I was like, what? What? (laughs) Like what goes on in my head and what is actually happening are so different, are so different. And, you know, like one of the things I've also been learning about is fear and it stands for false evidence appearing real. And I'm like, that is me. That is my anxiety. It's just a lot of bullshit I've made up in my head about how I'm not good enough and 
how I'm a burden to everyone and how, you know, I'm sick and unwell and a victim and all this. It's bullshit. And, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Sorry. You can. (laughs) (laughs) It is bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it's total. It's total bullshit. It's false evidence. Um, And if I allow myself to sit in that, it gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, like, to be totally honest, not everyone understood. Like, Mm. I will say that. Mm. I will say that there's been fallout for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I have lost friends and... I have lost relationships because not everyone has the capacity mm-hmm. to deal with this stuff. Like it's hard. And I often, you know, I think sympathy and empathy are very different things. Mm-hmm. You can feel sorry for someone, but if you've gone through it, like your empathy is so much bigger. And what I found through this is the friends who are able to stick by me disappearing, not communicating, isolating, literally spending a year being so, uh, having so like having to be selfish to work on mm. myself and not showing up for them in any way. And the friends who just, there, there were people who just stuck around and it didn't bother them whether I was Dina Amy or whether I was Dina who they didn't hear from for six weeks because she was too depressed to talk to mm. anyone. Like that didn't matter. They stuck around. And I, like, I don't believe everyone has that in them, but the ones that do like, wow, how special to know you've got those ones, you know, that's been really cool. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I have these, like, I won the friend jackpot, <laughs> you know? It's cool. I, I think it's so awesome that you just spoke about that. I think so many people would, would be feeling the same way and that they feel like they're going to be a burden, and I think it just makes it so much worse because then you're just dealing with it, as mm. said, like, bottling it up in in your head. And, and I think also the, the most amazing thing is how you're not only open with your family, you're open... Like, this is a public podcast, obviously. Like, I mean, there's the three of us here, but it is. a lot of people will <laughs> listen to it. And you've, you've been just as open on, on your social media about your journey and, and getting through. And that vulnerability is so beautiful. What enabled you to be able to... I mean, you did the post, um, you know, you, you took some time off social media and then you put a post out there and said, hey, like, I haven't been on here and this is why. What got, I suppose, obviously there's the fear, which you just spoke about, of, you know, will people judge me? Will people, and especially in the industry that you work in, I, I feel like there might be a fear that, oh, maybe I won't get booked for jobs because mm-hmm. people will think that there's something wrong with me. What enabled you to push past that fear and open up and, and release all that, I suppose, that information and, and be so vulnerable? I think I've always loved people's stories. You know, that's what's that's what drew me to want. That's that's what I love so much about acting, and mm. I always loved that about dancing too. I love telling stories, and I love listening to stories, and I loved reading biographies, and I I really believe that people who have been through pain and suffering and come out the other side, like they're unstoppable they're unbreakable and they're so inspiring and like some of you know I've I've been reading a lot of Glennon Doyle's stuff and Elizabeth Gilbert's and these are two women who have been through so much pain and so much suffering and I'm so inspired by them because they just speak their truth and it Mm. connects us and I think at the end of the day like we are more connected by pain and we are more connected by suffering and um I don't know it's just I don't know I didn't even I didn't really think about it like I didn't think okay I'm gonna go out there and tell my story I was just like I'm living this story so this is my truth so I don't have cute selfies to post on Instagram and I don't have any show photos to post because that's not my story right now and like Mm. this is my truth and if I'm gonna be authentic with this page and 
with my career, like, why not? And the best part is it's helping people. Like, that's the coolest part of all. Mm. And, you know, I think, like, you guys do that really well too, you know. I've known Steph for a long time and I've always... (laughs) I've always admired that about Steph. It's like, yeah, she's the most stunning thing in the world and there is all the glossy, beautiful photos. But then there's all the photos with no makeup on and saying she feels shit or she's just been crying all day. Like, And I just think that's so important. Like, I don't know why... I don't know where we lost this, like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't even... It's way too long a conversation for me to get started on. But I just think it's so important. And, you know, when I work with young dancers now... I really try to instill that in them. Like it's more important to have flaws and be interesting Mm. and be unique and be yourself than to try to be someone else. It's just, Mm. yeah, it's just going to waste your life really if you do that. Yeah, it's such an important message, 100%. Mm. What's your relationship like with social media? Like how, how do you kind of feel about it? I don't know. I go through phases with it. Like I think if you're going through a breakup, Social media is a really, really shitty thing. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. like I remember that's when, like I remember that's when I, it was a really dangerous thing it was for mm. me when I was going through a breakup and I was watching all my friends in LA hanging out with my ex and going mm. to festivals together mm. and then he was living this amazing life and I was like alone in a room depressed. Like it was just like I was just spending hours on there like stalking, doing unhealthy you know, it was so unhealthy. And then this year I took a really big break from social media just because I was honestly too sick to even think about that. Yeah. But then but then I have days where I I feel really connected by it and it feels really powerful. Yeah. Um so I I don't know, I go through phases with that. I think if you follow people who are authentic and interesting or funny, like honestly I think it's really great for it does definitely make me laugh, like so I think it's great for having a laugh. I just, I guess it's just about balance, like everything, mm. you know. Um, for a while there, I, it just felt like a marketing tool and it stopped. Mm. It didn't really feel like it was connecting me to people, but now it does. And, you know, I remember like reading um, Lena Dunham's post a while ago. Um, you know, she speaks her truth so much. and. Mm. You know, so sometimes there's moments like that where I'll read a post from someone like her and that has a huge impact on my life. And then I'm like, God bless social media. So, yeah, I I don't really know. It changes a bit. I think that's fine, too. I think that's the that's the balance of social media. There is good and there's bad. There's things on there that inspire you and motivate you and make you feel good. And I think what you said there about, you know, it's being about who you follow and, mm. you know, laws, you say that all the time. It's it's like that saying of, you know, who you spend, the five people you spend the most time around is kind of like who you become and everything. It's the same with social media. If you want to feel good about being on there, then just make sure that everyone you're following and the things that are popping up for you um, are those kind of people or those kind of accounts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the really important thing for me, like, comparison is the thief of joy 100 percent. and if i am if i am at home in covid lockdown sick unwell (laughs) depressed anxious and i'm looking at people's pages who are in bikinis in tahiti like (laughs) sipping cocktails like of course that's going to make me feel worse you know but if i can go onto someone's page who's going through something hard and speaking about it so it's 100 percent. like i think you have to filter it and curate it to be intelligent to help you yeah 
Mm. And do you find with, I mean, when you are um, dealing with anxiety and, and obviously with anxiety, you have days where you're fine and you f- kind of forget about it. And then it's like, well, hello, <laughs> you're here mm. again. Do you find on those days you steer away from social media? I, I personally find that if I am very anxious, I just have to get off it because obviously, as you spoke about before, you just make these ridiculous things up in your head and you can't control your thoughts. Do you yeah. do you have to set barriers for yourself with dealing with your mental health? Yeah, I actually, I, I don't look at my phone. If I'm having a bad day, like, and my family know this, if Dean is not answering our phone or not answering texts and sometimes it goes on for a few days and my agents and managers know this too it's because I'm you know having a bad episode or in a bad rut and I actually can't even look at my phone I can't even like social media is out of the question but even Mm. like texting and calling people I just can't I have to just focus on me and you know the only time I'll use my phone for that is um is to do a meditation you know to use insight time or something like that um but yeah and you know a lot of what I did this year, a lot of the work I did and, you know, when I was doing rehabilitation and recovery, I didn't have my phone for six weeks or longer. Like some, I went, honestly, it was like, I didn't even know where it was. It, it was, it was locked away and I didn't switch it on for almost two months. And that's what I needed for, for my recovery to get better and to get my head in a good space. I couldn't, if I saw emails coming in about work, if I saw people asking on Instagram, where are you? What do you do? I just, I wouldn't have been able to focus on the important thing, which was me. Mm, I think that's such amazing advice for, for anyone that is suffering right now to know that mm. you don't have to be, a sl- I mean, we are slaves to our phones, really. We're stuck yeah. to them 24-7 and mm. it's okay to, you know, it's not always good for us and it's so important to acknowledge that it's not always going to help. Like sometimes you just think, oh, I'll just scroll through Instagram because it's just like mindless and will calm my mind. But that very rarely actually is, is yeah. the case at all. So I think that, and, that's and the world. advice the world goes on like that's Mm. what I realized I I thought like you know I had such self-importance like I thought when I (laughs) when I switched on my phone after six weeks like how did anyone go on without me like oh my god and it's like you know what no one really cares or notices like Mm. it's you're you're not that important to everyone else like you have to be important to yourself to do the work for yourself but the world keeps going and if you don't respond to an email today or if you don't post for a few months like no one actually cares no one cares. <laughs> Agree. When you, I mean, there's enough content out there. Like, I mean, if you don't post a nice <laughs> photo in, I don't know, in a nice outfit, like someone It'll else will. Okay. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah, so everything will be okay. <laughs> so, on that, what is how? What has been your your biggest learning for this year? It's probably quite a big question. <laughs> mm. Gosh, so many. Wow. Um, probably a few things like a huge one for me has been respecting my body and really you know not abusing it in any way and that means like not talking negatively to myself not like cracking out the whip and self-disciplining all the time getting rid of that ballerina mentality of not being good enough or thin enough or pretty enough or talented enough so you know like the mental aspect of the self-bullying and the self-loathing that I was living in I'm just done with that. Like it's, that is done like enough. I've done like, (laughs) I've been so mean to myself for so long and it's just, 
it's just ridiculous. And so, you know, getting rid of that. And then from a, you know, a physical and psychological level, really understanding what I'm putting into my body with medications, with nutrients and food. Um, I was really naive when I started this journey, like my mental health journey. And, you know, I've had, I put my trust in doctors and in a medical system. And I came out with 10,000 times more problems than I had going in and like that's been such a huge lesson for me and one I hope I can you know warn people of is like really understand what these medications do if they can cause addiction if they can cause problems I mean I gained 30 kilograms from a medication if that's going to do that to you the depression that that weight gain is going to cause will far outweigh the benefits of the antidepressant you know you need to really understand what you're putting into your body and I was really I was just really naive and I trusted doctors implicitly and I'm not saying you can't trust doctors, but I'm just saying do the research yourself and maybe look at more natural options. You know, I've finally come out the other end now where I'm having amazing results with natural medicine, with Chinese medicine, with acupuncture. Um, And for me, it was a long and painful journey I wouldn't wish upon anyone else. Like I, Mm. I, I wish I could say to them, go see the naturopath first go see the therapist and do the psychology first go do all the mental work and the natural work you can before you run to medications and get trapped in big pharma like that that for me has probably been one of the biggest lessons of this year um and I, I guess the last one has been to slow down and that you know enough is enough for me like <laughs> I was always chasing the next thing the next goal the next high the next like I was never satisfied. I was, I was never good enough. What I was experiencing wasn't good enough. And now it's like, wow, it's enough to wake up and breathe and exercise for an hour if I can, or go for a walk and eat well. And like back to basics, just pulling it back. I don't have to do extraordinary things to be extraordinary. Like it's just enough to be me right now. So yeah, slowing down has probably been the biggest lesson for me. I love that that line about you know not having to do extraordinary things to be extraordinary is so true it's Mm. so amazing um on that out of the lessons you've learned it doesn't have to be these lessons but if there was something like a message that you could give your younger self you know if you could talk to teenage Dana what would you say Mm. I would tell her to trust herself more yeah like I think you know, I think as women, we have this, or maybe as humans, I shouldn't say as women, but I only know as a woman, <laughs> but we, ha- we have this, we have this deep intuition and this deep knowing. And I feel like that gets disempowered over time. And we start listening to other people and other opinions and we stop trusting ourselves. And I started doing that from a really young age. Like I was this beautiful, young, ambitious, talented driven thing and I I knew what was best for me but I that became so disempowered over time and I stopped listening to that voice and that would be my my biggest regret you know it's like no listen to you trust your gut trust your instincts when things don't feel right don't do them or if they do feel right do it and you don't have to check everything by someone else and you can make decisions on your own and you're strong and you're brave like yeah, I think, I think having that, um, that self-belief would be a really, really strong thing. And I, I think I can see that coming back. Um, like I think things are shifting. Like I look at my little sister 
And I used to think, oh my God, she's so opinionated. Like she thinks she knows everything. She's so sure of herself. But that's actually incredible. Like how amazing for her to have this inner confidence that she doesn't question everything she does. She doesn't think boys know better than her. She doesn't think her managers and agents know better than her or the industry. Like she just trusts herself because she knows she's an intelligent, smart young woman. And I used to, honestly, I would look at people like that and think that was ego and that was arrogance. And I don't see that anymore. Like, I think we all need to have a little bit more self-confidence and trust yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Thank you so, so much for oh, being so open. Um, your, you sharing your truth will, you know, is so impactful and, and we just know that so many people will benefit from you being so vulnerable today. So thank you so much. It was so nice to chat. We actually have never spoken, um, you know, before in this length. So it's, um, no, it's been so, so nice. lovely to, to get to know you and, and thank you so much such a pleasure I love what you guys do you know you guys really are game changers and doing such important work so very grateful to be part of this thank you well we hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Dina we'll make sure we pop her info in our show notes you can find out more and go follow her and follow her journey along she's very raw and authentic on social media and we love that is it my turn? I'm just joking. I knew it was my turn. So <laughs> if you would like to find out more about Keep It Cleaner, you can on our Instagram at Keep It Cleaner, our website, www.keepitcleaner.com.au, or of course, you can download our app in the App Store. What else would you like to know? Our Instagram pages. So if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at Steph Smith and at Laura.Henshaw. We're a lot more fun on there. No, I actually think we? we're more fun on here. I think. <laughs> anyway, gotta go. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye.